Well, hello, and welcome to this new episode of Head and Heart, a podcast by Probe Ministries. I'll be your host today, Paul Rutherford. We're talking about climate change and the Green New Deal. This is part two, and I'm in studio with my illustrious colleague, Dr. Ray Bolin. Ray, welcome. Glad to be back. Yeah, glad to continue this conversation. Yep. We had a, a really good good one last time. Very informative. I mm-hmm. learned a lot about it. We're going to talk this time in part two, focusing on the Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. The, the big question was, does climate science evidence justify the Green New Deal? That's kind of the big question, right. the, the two-part question that we're asking. And last time we talked about the climate science. We mm-hmm. talked about polar bears. We talked mm-hmm. about Greenland. <laughs> yes. We talked about Earth's warming. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that one. It was really good. And this time we're going to talk about the Green New Deal. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. It's uh, it's a hot topic. Yes, it's it controversial. Is. Man, it seems every headline in the news is talking about climate mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. It's it's in our face all the time. Dr. Bowen, you, you also take a position that is itself controversial. So yes. I, I look forward to getting into that. <laughs> but before we do, if you would, uh, let's give our listener who maybe hasn't listened to this podcast before a brief introduction about yourself and, and who you are. Okay. Um, I'm the primary science writer and speaker for Probe Ministries. And uh, my background is is all in the biological sciences. I studied zoology, uh, evolution, and molecular and cell biology. That's where my PhD is, is in molecular and cell biology. Okay. Uh, So I've written and commented about many things that that are included within the biological sciences. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So several degrees then in science, Mm -hmm. which I advanced degrees, which I appreciate. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And then backing up one step, Probe Ministries is a, an equipping apologetics and Christian worldview ministry yes. that equips Christians to think biblically so that they're not captive to the lies of culture, but that they're living out their lives in a full and abundant life as an ambassador for Christ. Mm-hmm. That's our hope for you today. In addition to cutting through some of the, um, Dr. Bowen, not to uh, steal your thunder, but maybe to, to put the bottom line up front is to cut through some of the climate alarmism mm-hmm. that's real common today. Yes. Uh, this is not our first podcast on climate change. Mm-hmm. I think it's our fourth, maybe fifth. <laughs> we have several other episodes. But that seems to be the prevailing narrative today in pop media, mass media, is that, um, you know, forgive me for over-exaggerating, but it's almost a little bit of a chicken little. Absolutely. The sky is falling. <laughs> yes, the sky is. is falling. Yes, it Everyone is. freak out. The sky yes, is falling. Yes, it is. And so uh, in some sense, we're going to set the record straight. In some sense, what we want you, listener, to get out of it is for you to be just maybe a little bit more skeptical mm-hmm. of what you're reading in headlines, mm-hmm. at least ask questions, investigate for yourself. That's one thing we talked about in the last yep. episode. Um, and in addition, that we want them to, especially if they're a believer in Jesus, to root their hope and their security in him. I mean, even right. if the climate does change, even yeah. if the sky does fall, if you believe in Jesus, your eternity is mm-hmm. secure. Yep. You don't have to freak out. <laughs> You get the privilege of sharing the gospel while hailstones are falling from the sky. <laughs> that is our privilege. That's our distinct privilege. So that's what we want you to get out of it today. So so let's get into it, Dr. Bowen. Okay. My, my opening question, just to, to, well, to set more of the scene, is the Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. Will you tell us more about the Green New Deal? What is the Green New Deal? Yeah, it's, it's a phrase that was initiated by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez when she was first elected to Congress in, uh, I think, uh, 2018. AOC. AOC. She sometimes goes by. Yes. And uh, in 2019, after she was sworn in, she introduced this topic by essentially saying, we only have 12 years left to survive unless we act now. Yikes. And that's when she introduced this concept of the Green New Deal. And 
referring back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal in the 30s. Right. Um, and so this is the Green New Deal. And, you know, there's a recent book out by Mark Morano, who is the main contributor to the Climate uh, Depot website, which basically debunks a lot of the alarmist climate claims and science. And he called it Green Fraud. And he has a very excellent description of what the Green New Deal is, what it would mean to us. And I've pulled out a quote from fairly early on in the book where he basically says the Green New Deal, or sometimes just abbreviated GND, uh, would impact literally every aspect of your life. Uh, From your light bulbs, to your appliances, to your home heating, air conditioning, your SUV, to the food you eat, the clothes you wear, land use, the size of your home. (laughs) Every aspect of our lives would be affected by this. That's a lot. And... He, he pulls out a few phrases from because the, they did have a House resolution. I'll get to that a little bit later, what it was hoping to accomplish. It's okay. not a law. It's not been passed. Okay. But it was a House resolution that okay. was introduced. And as he says, packed with phrases like farting cows, because farting cows eliminate methane, which is another very strong greenhouse Emit gas. Yeah. Uh, tipping points, free college, healthy food, net zero, adequate housing, incomes for those unable and unwilling to work. <laughs> it was billed as a 10-year plan to mobilize every aspect of American society on a level not seen since World War II. So this is a major attempt to restructure American society, to increase the level of central control within the government. And uh, so it would be the government that would start mandating certain aspects of your life. And if you don't, you'll be fined in some way, or some people have even talked about prison sentences uh, people like myself who are referred to as climate deniers. Climate deniers. Climate deniers. I prefer climate skeptic. Okay. Some, there have been a few people in Congress who have suggested that climate deniers ought to be put in prison. Oh, they've suggested it. They've suggested it. Wow. Now, there is no such law in place at the moment, gratefully. Freedom of speech much? <laughs> yeah. Not, not really. Well... As they would say, you're not entitled to your own facts. The oh. facts are the facts, you know. And <laughs> okay. So, yeah, the Green New Deal truly is a, pardon the pun, a, a big deal. <laughs> Sounds appropriate. Yeah, the premise of it is very simple. As Mark Brown says, if you pay more taxes, regulate industry, drive up the cost of energy, micromanage every aspect of Americans' lives, we can then control the climate to avoid what they call a climate emergency. Now, some are even using that phrase now. So it's been about three years or more since she actually, AOC actually introduced this concept. And apart from this last uh, so-called inflation reduction bill that Congress passed and Biden signed, there are a few Uh, climate change issues that were funded through that additional subsidies for turbines and solar panels and uh, for wind farms and then also for electric vehicles. They want to increase dramatically the number of electric vehicles produced. Okay, Um, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah, so, I mean, that is a small start is what they would say. 
All right, so Dr. Boland, what I hear you saying is the Green New Deal originally debuted by um, AOC, mm-hmm. who responding to what she might call a climate emergency, right. that if we do nothing in 12 years, the world's going to end right? because the climate is in such a state yep. of emergency. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so therefore it warrants the mobilization of every aspect of American life mm-hmm. from the economy to personal speech, choices, personal choices, energy, every sector, every person and every household is going to be affected in order to prevent climate emergency. Mm-hmm. Right. Ostensibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's, that's what it's all sold yeah. for. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like those changes that are, proposed in that bill which didn't pass how right it's not a it's, it's a not a bill resolution. it's just a resolution right thank you for the clarification that's that's good to know but there's so much in there mm-hmm. that is just sweeping it's going to affect individual personal liberties it's going to affect institutions education industry sector you name it it's socialism disguised as something to address climate change it's socialism plain and simple that's what it sounds like yeah when it's increasing the level of government control and power over when Bernie Sanders strongly endorses it, <laughs> it's likely good. It's probably an indicator. Socialistic, yes. Probably an indicator. Okay. Well, thank you for thank you for defining mm-hmm. our, our terms here and what we're talking about. So, so big question. We'll start with the big one first, Doctor Bowen. Is do you do you think it's going to succeed? Do you think the Green New Deal will successfully achieve its intended results? Well, numerous groups have tried to assess that. And the large, the the basic conclusion they're coming to is that it will have very little effect on climate change, even if everything is accomplished that they want to accomplish. Okay. For instance, they want to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels by 40 to 50 percent by 2030. And by 2050, they want to have what they call net zero, which means uh, when you consider ways to take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, which is what plants do, okay, and how much is actually being, is entering the atmosphere, it would amount to no net increase of carbon dioxide. And that's what they're hoping to achieve. Okay. And, you know, when you still have that level of fossil fuel use over even the next 10 years or eight years or left (laughs) of the 12-year uh, crisis point, um, it's not going to have much of an effect. Overall, the, the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is not going to be reduced. I mean, it, it's once you reach this level of carbon dioxide that they think is dangerous, allowing it to actually decrease is a much different question than just slowing down the increase, which is all this really does. Hmm. Slows down the increase of carbon dioxide. So what they're trying to avoid is an increase in global temperatures of really only one and a half to two degrees Celsius. And that's going to be about three to four degrees Fahrenheit. And that's not a lot. And when you consider that countries like China and India are continuing to increase their use of fossil fuels, particularly coal, which is the worst, what America does at this point is not going to make a whole lot of difference. And so we would literally spend trillions of dollars over the next eight to 10 years for no effect. Okay, so the big question that I asked was, do you think the Green New Deal is going to succeed? Do you think it's going to achieve its intended results of reducing impact on the environment, of stemming the the rise in global temperatures and climate change? Yeah, the answer is no. (laughs) I hear you saying a strong and emphatic no. 
including the particularly some of the measures you talked about, like use of fossil fuels. Like mm-hmm. the, the goal is to reduce it by fifty percent, mm-hmm. just in the American within by twenty thirty, with by twenty thirty, which is not far seven years. Yeah, that's massive. Mm-hmm. That's massive. Okay, so I think you made another move from there, which was even if we did that, the impact it would have on the environment would be minimal. Right. So were we talking there about CO2 emissions or are we talking about degrees Celsius, degrees Fahrenheit? Well, the carbon dioxide emissions are what are supposedly what's causing the increase in global temperatures. Okay. Um, But as we talked about in the previous podcast, uh, we've had much warmer temperatures in the very recent past. 1500 BC, uh, around the time of Christ, around the medieval warm period, and those temperatures were much were higher than they, what they are now, and carbon dioxide had nothing to do with it. So mm. trying to blame carbon dioxide for this rise in temperature, we don't really have enough understanding of the climate and what affects it to be able to make that kind of connection. Okay. All right. Thanks for clarifying that. So we're talking today about climate change and the Green New Deal, and I'm talking with Dr. Ray Bolin. My uh, esteemed colleague and coworker, appreciate you having this conversation with me, Dr. Bolin. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of important questions, uh, most notably about the Green New Deal. We're digging in today with part two of this podcast. And we've been talking so far about what is the Green New Deal? Do you think it's going to be successful? I hear you saying no. Mm-hmm. The Green New Deal involves introducing sweeping and massive changes into American life, civil life, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. You called it socialism, just mm-hmm. repa- repackaged yep. Yep. in in effort of... Trying to save the world uh-huh. effectively. I'm trying not to be pejorative, but I mean that's what's at stake here. It mm-hmm. really is. That's what their claim, the claim is. So my next question is uh, a thing that I I hear a lot about are electric vehicles. If yeah. we just change our vehicles over, trucks, civilian cars, buses, mm-hmm. everything. If we change it over to electric vehicles, that would reduce CO2 emissions. That'll reduce our increase in um, in the climate and temperatures. So what do you think about that? Is that is that our salvation? Um, well, currently, worldwide, there's only in 2018 the statistics were there's where there were only five million electric vehicles in the world. In 2018. In, tw- in 2019, okay. they had a 50% increase. Okay. But that went to all the seven to eight million vehicles, electric vehicles, and when you consider in 2018 there were 85 million combustion engine vehicles sold. 85 million sold. 85 million sold in 2018. And 45% of those were SUVs. <laughs> uh, the big One of the big culprits the big of, of the car industry. Okay. And to increase the number of electric vehicles, she also, AOC also put in there putting charging stations everywhere. Well, guess what? What produces electricity for the charging stations? Well, currently it's coal. fossil fuels. Mostly coal, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, and natural gas. Got it. Um, the other aspect of that is to construct the batteries for these electric vehicles, yes, which is the main this. issue. You need massive amounts of lithium, uh, manganese, cobalt, what are called rare earth metals. Okay. And one of the primary mines for lithium in particular is located in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And the mine is owned by the Chinese. And to get about enough lithium for one car battery, they have to sift through about 225,000 pounds of earth. 
for just one 2,000-pound. Sounds like a ton. It is. About a... It is. And those mines are also, well, they, they produce a lot of toxic waste. And there's no plan of what to do with those toxins. In the mining of In the mining these of rare it. earth metals. And so okay. that accumulates on the surface and also within the mine. Uh, it enters the, the water system. If you have you know water reservoirs underground, well, all that toxic waste will also be entering the, the water system. Um, that sounds dangerous. It is. The, for the local residents. The conditions for the workers are deplorable. The Chinese don't care. They don't care. And so there's huge amounts of death, disease, in mining accidents, all sorts of things. Um, And so that's just to get the amount of lithium for one of these batteries. Um, They weigh about 2,000 pounds total. Okay. Finished product. The finished product. The battery. The battery. And most of your current cars are weighing three to 4,000 pounds. So this is half the weight of the vehicle. And... When the battery finally ends its life, you know, it's got about a seven, eight-year lifespan, to replace it costs as much as the original car did. The battery is your primary expense for an electric vehicle. So being able to increase the number of electric vehicles to the level that they want to is going to require enormous increases in the mining of these rare earth metals. And... The amount of toxic waste is almost incalculable, and uh, the toxic waste, the the damage to miners' lives and and their their health, this is really impossible. We really can't get there. So this doesn't sound like a viable option. It it to really move it really it has isn't. serious problems. Yes. that need to be considered. If Absolutely. This is gonna be, if this is something we want to continue to develop, right, moving forward. That's right. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, I can attest to. One of the things you said from personal experience, I have been looking for a, a car, a mm-hmm. new car recently, and on the recommendation of a friend, I investigated electric cars, which have apparently great, very low maintenance costs, which was right. one of the key uh, benefits I was looking for, and uh, discovered that when I um, need a new battery, it's effectively the price of a car. <laughs> it's a steep learning curve for me. I've never, mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't own an electric car right now. And I, what I did was I, I picked the brain of a buddy of mine at church. I just said, hey, you have an electric car, right? Tell me about that. And he sat me down, and we had a frank conversation. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, if, once the battery goes, the, cars, the car goes as well. Yeah. So when, as all things, even with internal combustion engines, they have a life cycle mm-hmm. too, and then they get disposed of. And so this raises a bigger question, which I think is also important for this conversation in terms of what is the life cycle of any product that we use? Yeah. How does its footprint affect the environment from start to finish? Right. The homes that we build, the cars that we drive, mm-hmm. uh, the products that we use, how much footprint does does that have on the environment when it's being produced and when it's being used and then when it's disposed? Because it's the whole thing start mm-hmm. to finish. It's not mm-hmm. just the thing in itself. And sometimes you didn't say this, but I'll say this. I Sometimes I think those who are who think that changing over to electric vehicles is going to is going to save us. It almost seems like. I'm speaking really broadly here, but it almost seems like they're getting too narrowly focused. Like, look, there's no emissions for electric vehicles. Sure, but what about the production of it? Right. And and so it's almost being almost too narrow. I don't deny that. No one can Mm -hmm. deny that. In fact, I'm not saying we shouldn't necessarily do it, but I I think what you're raising here, Dr. Bowen, is that there's more considerations. We need to to think holistically about it start Mm -hmm. to finish, the impact on the environment, the impact on humans and on the economy. All of it needs to be taken into consideration, especially when we're talking about something as global as global climate change. Yeah. (laughs) It affects all of us that yep. we should all be, all things really should be considered. In that. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Well, we're talking about climate change and the Green New Deal today. I'm talking with Dr. Bolin. This is part two of uh, a two-part podcast series on that topic. And today we're focusing on the Green New Deal. We've already talked about what the Green New Deal is. We've talked about Dr. Bolin, if you think it will achieve its intended effect. You emphatically said yeah, no. I was going right. to be euphemistic and say skeptical, <laughs> but no, I don't think no. that would be fair. You you seem it's convinced. No. Okay. That's uh, that's fair. And then uh, we also talked about electric vehicles and mm-hmm. some of the problems of, with the production of those. So my last question uh, is um, another proposed solution for reducing our carbon footprint on the environment, and that's alternative energy. Right. Alternative energy sources. Those are really hot right now. Mm-hmm. Those are mm-hmm. real popular. Wind, solar, hydroelectric, all kinds of stuff. Just took my kids to the museum, the science museum, last week, and there's this whole unit in the museum on alternative energy, ah. and the future, and we're doing this and that, and look at all this. And it was fantastic. It was a great museum. I, I loved my experience. My mm-hmm. kids interacted with it and pushed buttons and got to watch <laughs> things. And I think my kids really learned it was really good. Um, but a more serious question, do you think that'll help us reduce our impact on the environment? Well, technically, if we are able to wean ourselves off of fossil fuels, even to, to that 50% level, um, basically also what, they, what the goal is, is to reduce the production of carbon dioxide to 50% of levels that were produced in 2010. Not from the current levels, but in 2010. That would cut it quite a bit. Okay, got it. And yeah, if we're able to make that kind of transition, you have less carbon dioxide, you have less air pollution in general. Um, But the problem again is how do we actually get to that point and what's it going to cost? Germany currently gets 30% of its energy from renewables. But the cost of the average home for electricity is three times what it is here in the United States. Wow, three times uh-huh. what Americans pay for mm-hmm. for electricity. Electricity. Our electric bills are already going up because of the extra costs of natural gas and yeah, mine uh, is. Yeah, sure. mine definitely has. Um, they're already going up both for gas and for electricity. Um, and currently, we get about nationally about three percent of our energy from wind and solar. Three percent. Three percent of our total. Of our total American economy, electricity, U.S. electric consumption, right, three percent right. is produced from wind and solar. Wind and solar together. Together, yes. Okay, I was hoping it was more than <laughs> that. Woo. Well, in Texas, it is. Okay, uh, it's closer to twenty percent in Texas okay. because we have massive wind farms out in West Texas where there isn't much of anything. <laughs> Get it, Texas? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And part of the problem that they never talk about is. What do you do when the blades of a wind turbine need to be replaced? Because they, they wear yeah, out. Sure. Uh, what do you do with the used solar panels? They have about a 20, 25-year lifespan. Is that right? And right now, the only thing they do with the blades from a wind turbine that have had to be replaced, the ones they remove, they bury them. You just bury it. I mean, isn't that what a landfill is? That's yeah, oh, but they're trying to reduce all of that stuff, oh, you know, sure. and, and currently, and that's just going to add tremendously. Oh, not recycling it. So there's no way to recycle I it. I see what you're saying. There's no way it to take any of that and use it again. That's okay. Uh, solar panels also, there is no plan at all of what to do with dead solar panels. They don't. We don't know how to recycle those things. There's okay. there's no uh, technology in place to accomplish anything like that. Okay. So all this idea of recycling and so forth, well, you can't recycle either of those. Hmm. 
And so that's going to have a real dramatic effect. And, and the cost is going to be, again, in the trillions. I mean, they're estimating in the Green New Deal that the total cost could be anywhere from $41 trillion to over $50 trillion. Various organizations have tried to estimate the cost. That's enormous. Right now, with the Green New Deal resolution, there are no costs attached to it yet. And so it's all coming from estimates that can be drawn from various other sources. But yeah, it is an enormous cost. And, you know, it's estimated that over that eight to 10 year period that we're going to lose about 1 million jobs. Now, they talk about creating jobs through needing for maintenance for wind farms and uh, solar panels, they need to be cleaned up and debris taken out of the way and make sure the, the solar panels are free of dust and so forth uh, that yeah. would affect the, the sunlight. But you don't need that many people to do that, as opposed to how many people will work at a ga- uh, electric uh, plant run by natural gas okay. or, or coal. Okay. They, that employs far more people. Mm-hmm. So. It's estimated that maybe $16,000 for a family of four will be lost due to the higher electricity costs and all the various other things. So converting to wind and solar is not going to be as easy as they suggest it will be. And the cost is going to be enormous. Yeah, thank you for summarizing there. That's just what I was thinking. If the question is, will alternative energy sources reduce our uh, environmental impact, do you think this is... You think this is going to succeed? And what I hear you saying is two main factors. One is it, in fact, feasible. Mm-hmm. What you're saying right now, the reality is wind and solar comprise only 3% right. of consumption mm-hmm. in the American market, which, right. is t- which is a fraction. Right. It's tiny. It's tiny. So that means production needs to go way up mm-hmm. for that to be accomplished, which seems a expensive and difficult like you talked about. Um, but then uh, the other consideration there with this question is also what is the economic impact? Is it feasible economically for the market? And just looking at Germany as an example, you mm-hmm. cited that their energy costs the, are three times higher mm-hmm. than the American market. And so in order to increase production for alternative energy sources, it's going to increase the cost and the price to the consumer to receive that energy. Right. And the discussion about having solar panels attached to your home. Again, there's been new information coming out. It's been it's more reliable now that we can clearly say that for the average home, it's going to cost twenty thousand dollars to have solar panels put on your home. Now, some states like I think Texas will offer you a five thousand, or the city of Plano, whatever city you're in, might offer you a five thousand dollar reduction, or you might get some tax break for that. So let's say it costs you fifteen thousand. But the reality of that is you might be thinking, well, hey, if I got solar panels, then if the power goes out, I'll have a ready source of power if the sun's shining or whatever and yeah, the wind's blowing. That seems intuitive. Um, well, no, because the electricity generated through your solar panels simply are added to the overall electrical grid. And you therefore get a reduction in your electricity costs, but you don't get any power personally from mm. those. It's not routing the production of the capturing of that energy to your house well you get into the grid what you would have to do is install a battery system that could store some of that solar energy um, but that would cost you another twenty thousand dollars okay and there are no incentives or deals for getting the battery system put in place that sounds exceedingly expensive so you're talking about thirty five thousand dollars for the average home in order to save a hundred a month 
and to have power available if the if the electricity goes out. So seems less than feasible for most people and expensive. Yeah. Well, Dr. Ray, thank you for having this conversation with me. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about climate change and the Green New Deal. We've talked about alternative energy sources. We've talked about electric cars. We've talked about the big question, whether or not we think the Green New Deal will achieve what its intended effect is. And it, you're saying emphatically not. Right. It, it does, doesn't seem like it's going to do that. Not it, do it. it does seem effective at advancing sweeping progressive change mm-hmm. into American Every aspect of life. your life. Yep. Every aspect. So... Listener, if you have any more questions on this, know that there's part one of this episode that you can go and find the previous episode on this. If you want more information, we've done other podcast episodes on climate change. Dr. Bowen, you and I have had those. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a lecture that you mm-hmm. gave, which has been captured on video, also yep. available at our website, probe.org. Mm-hmm. I would use search terms probe live, P-R-O-B-E-L-I-V-E, to find that. And in addition, lots of articles on our website. Yeah. So there's lots of other resources there. Uh, Dr. Bowen, what would you say? This is, I'll give you kind of the, the last word, but I'll, I'll prop you up with one last question. What, uh, what do you want the listener to get out of this today? What's a, I hate to use the word takeaway. It feels cliche. But what, what, kind of, <laughs> what kind of thing do you want them to do? How do you want them to be different? Be extremely skeptical of any news article or TV documentary, whatever, that touts the benefits of the Green New Deal. It's not so often that they might lie to you, but there's a lot of information they won't tell you. Lots of things will be left out. So be extremely skeptical of any discussion, positive discussion of the Green New Deal. And be careful of the word experts. I've come to just disallow that term altogether. Okay, who said this person is an expert? Who are they actually? What is their scientific background? News articles often don't bother to tell you. They expect you to, to accept, oh, experts. Well, they must know what they're talking about. Well, probably not anymore, especially when they don't identify who they are. So that could apply to the Green New Deal as well. Okay. So overall, I'm just calling for a, a high level of skepticism of discussions of climate change or the Green New Deal. Okay. Turning up your uh, discernment meter there. Yep. Yeah. Super. Uh, I've enjoyed this conversation. Dr. Bowen, thanks for joining me. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed it. And uh, listener, we will uh, see you next time on the next episode of Head and Heart. All right.